0: Hey Humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 230. It's with Serena Davidson. She's a former Jehovah's Witness. She is the founder of Free Range Sex Movement and an interesting lady. She's also a fourth generation photographer. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot about Jehovah's Witness that I didn't know and I was corrected on some stuff I thought I did know and didn't. Uh, I was incorrect on, so that was good. Good learning moments there. Other stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, Susan Ruthism on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hey Human now has merch. It's very exciting. You can check that out at heyhumanpodcast.com. They're on the merch page. You'll also find a links page on there, and that is for every episode I do. There are plenty of links that go with the episode that I curate and get on there to get you to know more about my guest or the things we talk about, books or movies or television or or articles or whatnot. So that's on there. And that's exciting. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Really super helpful or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're into music, check out Susan Ruth on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, You can go to SusanRuth.com and sign up for the mailing list there. I only send them out about once a quarter and I'm getting ready to send one out actually. It's coming up, coming up uh, either this week or the beginning of next week. Uh, I know I said that there was a video coming out of me doing the hypnotherapy. It's getting edited. She's super busy, my friend Rachel, who's helping me. And she says that she is working on it, but it's not out yet. I haven't forgotten. And I will definitely post that because it's super bizarro and cool, and I want you all to see it. Um, You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com, if you want to chit-chat. I'd love to hear from you. And other than that, as I've been saying over the past few weeks, uh, if you haven't registered to vote and you live in the United States, please do so. Uh, Fill out your 2020census.gov census information so that your voice can be heard. The census is a way for them to know how many people should represent us. And if we don't fill that out, they don't know. And then we don't get represented. So it's also good for federal funding, all that kind of stuff. Super important. Um, What else? I think I mentioned I finished the Good Place season finale. I cried my eyes out. And I'm midway through the final season of Schitt's Creek very excited about that as well. And I just finished reading The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. Um, Wow, that is an intense and excellent book. So I recommend that one. By the way, if you feel like you don't know a whole lot about what's going on in if you're in the United States and you don't feel like you know a whole lot about what's going on with voting and all that stuff, I put a ton of information on the Hey Human Facebook page as well as my Susan Ruthism Facebook page and also on Twitter. I would say I on Facebook, I post a lot of just fun stories, interesting science articles or animal stories, that human stories. And then on Twitter, I I get pretty political. That's where I use my voice for politics. Isn't that what Twitter is for? Who knows, nobody knows. Um, I think I said last week that I watched The Social Dilemma. Boy, is that a brain bender. Uh, And yet, here I am still using social media. So that just goes to show you how integrated it is in our society. But I would like to think I am using it less than I did before. Right now, my best friend Ellen is rolling her eyes because she does not believe me. Okay, well, enough of me going on and on. Let's get into this episode. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And oh, one more thing. If you have had COVID and you are recovered, good job. And you can donate your plasma uh, to Red Cross Centers and they will use that plasma to help with people that are fighting the illness. So that's a cool way to help your fellow human. Okay, here we go. Serena Davidson, welcome to Hey Human.
1: Thank you. It's cool to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Absolutely. You're in Bellingham, Washington.
1: Yeah, I love Bellingham.
0: We were introduced through Ethan Feckleton. I was on his podcast and he suggested that I speak with you. He said you had a very interesting upbringing and and he's right, you do. (laughs) So I'm glad that you agreed to be on the show. I, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I'm happy to be invited and glad that Ethan connected us. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you grew up in Bellingham or somewhere else?
1: No, not in Bellingham. Bellingham is a really wonderful spot for me to land and live and be comfortable in because it's a lot like where I grew up, but far enough away from (laughs) all of my history and past being raised in the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: All right, well, let's start there. You were born into a family that are Jehovah's Witness.
1: Yeah, I was a third generation Jehovah's Witness.
0: And how? On both
1: sides. So both both sets of grandparents and parents were raised in it. Um, My grandparents weren't raised in it. My parents were both raised in it by their parents.
0: Is that pretty normal? I imagine that Jehovah's Witness will seek out other Jehovah's Witness to marry.
1: Yes, there's a really huge pressure to marry within the religion, and actually to only even have friends within the religion. But it's kind of unusual to be a third generation Jehovah's Witness because a lot of people are converted or second generation because the religion um, it isn't like you know as old as Catholicism or anything. So it's it's around the world these days, but. Um, Yeah, I think it's a little bit unusual to be a third or fourth generation. So my... Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say, so my nieces and nephews, a bunch of them are uh, fourth generation. But genuinely, I think that the fourth generation of my family and the religion as a whole isn't really sticking with the religion for a lot of good reasons
0: which we will get into. So I wrote down that in 1879, uh, a man by the name of Charles Taze Russell wrote uh, The Watchtower and that that began, and please correct me if I'm incorrect, this is what I got off the old internets, wrote The Watchtower and in it he prophesied that in 1914 there would be a great Armageddon that would be God's wrath, God's revenge and wipe out a bunch of people and and that's really where the, the religion began, is that correct?
1: You know, that's accurate to my knowledge, but I'm just going to tell you now that as far as the history of that religion goes and even all the details of what they believe and why they believe it, all of that stuff is not my area of expertise. I have spent the last 20 years, actually, it is currently um, in the time of my 20th anniversary of having left, so I've spent the last 20 years trying to forget all that stuff. (laughs)
0: Do they ostracize people that leave, or is it like Scientology in that you, you don't get to communicate with family after the fact?
1: Well, I don't know about Scientology, but yes, they definitely practice excommunication and shunning, which they call disfellowshipping, and what it means is that you're no longer allowed to fellowship or interact with people who are in the religion, specifically if you were raised in the religion and baptized, or if at some time you were baptized and chose that religion um, in a public way, like doing a baptism, then if you were to ever stop participating or to leave it or to actually say that you don't believe in it and that it's wrong, that would all be grounds for cutting you out and shunning you. So currently I have very, very, very limited interaction with blood relatives and I really lost them as a functioning family during the time when I left in my early 20s.
0: Does that include your parents?
1: Yes. I mean, for a long time I maintained a very thin thread with my mother and... Um, a shorter period of time, I maintain that with my father, but the connection of familial care and support that functioning families have for a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, um, even year by year as people get together for whatever special occasions they celebrate in their family. No.
0: Can you talk about your childhood and growing up in it? I know that you said that you you're trying to forget it, but that's I feel like it feeds into what you do now. So at least for the listeners to get a a basic understanding of what your childhood was like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I haven't actually been intentionally forgetting my childhood. I just intentionally forget the details of the dogma and the history of the religion. Got it. Yeah, so my childhood was um, kind of standard for Jehovah's Witnesses, but also, as all of us, it was also very just unusual and unique in its own ways. Like, um, in, in a standard way for Jehovah's Witnesses, we didn't celebrate holidays, birthdays, or... Um, anything on the holiday calendar that most people celebrate.
0: Why is that?
1: Well, they believe, um, let's see, there's so many answers. My brain's a little bit flooded and a little bit blank from the years of distance from it. But I think generally I could just say that they believe that if you have a special day just for yourself, then you're kind of pumping yourself up too much. And that they've got some kind of theory that I don't totally remember it spot on, but it's something to the effect of if you had a special day just to celebrate you, then you're kind of putting yourself on the same level as God. Okay. All right. That's, That's like a tiny little oversimplified synopsis. Yeah. It makes and then, sense. okay. Almost all the holidays truly, genuinely do have very pagan roots and they're very anti pagan. So ah. they look at the roots and they say, oh, this originated from paganism, so it's evil and we're not going to do it.
0: Oh, uh, I got to give them credit. At least they're one of the few religions that recognize that the roots of most of the religions are based in pagan worship. <laughs>
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I got a really pretty good education on paganism growing up because they would teach me all about each holiday and how it started, and sure. this is the reason why we don't do it. And then when I grew up, I was like, you know, what really makes sense is following the cycles of the yearly seasons and Absolutely. connecting to the earth, of course. But,
0: Which is why many of the 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 the, the major religions incorporated stuff like that, right? Because in order to get people on your new team, you have to keep some of the old team's rules.
1: (laughs) Yeah, But I'm always
0: fascinated by religions that are began in the modern world, like, you know, 1879, or whenever Elrond wrote the book of, you know, the Scientology book, stuff like that is always fascinating to me, because, or even, I mean, I suppose the mormons their religion was sort of late to the game as well so that and started by a singular man fascinating to me at least
1: yeah i agree i end up with um in in my new career helping people from high control backgrounds to really embrace their sexuality and their uh not only in their sexual confidence and communication in the bedroom but sexual identity sexual expression, um, sexual intelligence, awareness of gender and orientation and all those things. Within that, I find that there are so many similarities between the former Mormons and the former Jehovah's Witnesses. And I actually was focused on simply f- helping ex-Jehovah's Witnesses to embrace their sexuality intelligence and learn how to come into a genuine and deep sexual confidence, but the overwhelming response that I got when I started bringing that out into the world is a ton of people were just like, you know, I read your information and I could say that I would love to take some of your workshops and work with you, but I'm not an extra jehovahs Witness. So I listened and I ended up creating a movement, so the new business is the free-range sex movement. And now I'm opening it up to work with people of all backgrounds. Typically, my clients will end up being from high-control backgrounds of subcultures. Yeah,
0: talk about that a little
1: bit. Hmm. Yeah, high-control backgrounds would be like growing up in the culture of Jehovah's Witnesses or growing up in the culture of Mormons. And I imagine Scientology, though I do not know a lot about it.
0: Yeah. That's fair.
1: There's a lot of people from other backgrounds and other subcultures and other micro-religions and different families that were very high control within their
0: I mean, we got the Hasidic Jews, you've got, you know, strict uh, Catholics, strict... I would say that every religion that where the practice is uh, intense like that, you're going to have that high level of rules and, and control.
1: Yeah, so I've Especially found that... over the,
0: sexuality, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I found that a lot of the commonality between these experiences of high control subcultures is that we are taught a lot of messaging about body shaming, uh, anti-feminine feelings, beliefs, habits, rules things where only male-bodied people are allowed to lead. That was definitely part of my upbringing. And generally, you know, anything that's feminine is viewed as weak or subservient and lesser than a male option or position. And then another factor of the high-control background is that there's a lot of focus on abstinence and chastity and a real intentional move away from listening to your own heart and being in touch with your own intuition. And so what I end up working with people on a lot is helping to reconnect them to their intuition and help them learn how to navigate that information system within their emotional body and their physical body.
0: Interesting. What were you taught about sex then, growing up? I, I from what I read, Jehovah's Witnesses are—they believe in abstinence before marriage.
1: They do. Yeah, absolutely. They also believe in not even masturbating.
0: Whew, That one—I mean, right there, I'd have to get out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I—I um, I had a workshop recently, and I um, got some really tender moving feedback that one of the participants had shared with me that was along the lines of um, a story that I've heard from a lot of different people and that I've experienced parts of myself as well, which is basically that as women, we don't even know what our yoni looks like until we get to some advanced age and eventually look at ourselves in a mirror and explore and um one person told me once they didn't even really know that they had an opening between their legs not really like they never actually looked at it or touched it themselves in a acknowledging way until they were an adult it's and
0: really so interesting too because i think as far as even healthcare and hygiene that to know one's own body is such a uh, imperative in, in those considerations. But I know that, uh, again, having read some stuff that there's also issue around things like blood transfusion. I don't know about medical across the board, medical treatment across the board, but I, I guess it's more put it in the hands of God and not in man, is that?
1: Yeah, but Jehovah's Witnesses definitely do seek medical attention there's a lot of confusion around that for people outside of the religion. Um, They hear that Jehovah's witnesses won't accept blood transfusions and they think that might extend into a lot of other areas. But the truth is in my personal experience growing up in that religion and my relationships with um, distant family and whatnot, my understanding is that that's pretty much the line. Like, That's pretty much the only thing that they don't do medically is blood. And it's based on a scripture. They also won't eat blood. But they do take and they leave up to conscience at different times, depending on what the authorities and the organization say at the time. They do leave it up to people's conscience, whether they will take white blood cell um, partitions of blood that are made into non-blood. Stabilizers or supporters. I don't know the medical words. Oh, so there are loopholes
0: that, if the heads of the congregation agree to that, then it's okay.
1: Well, it's not the heads of the congregation, but it is because that's a local term. But the heads of the whole organization, Mm. if they put out saying something like "this is up to your conscience," then people can go for it according to their own decision. As far as things like parts of blood. But a whole blood transfusion or a whole blood um, food item would be totally grounds for disfellowshipping or shunning.
0: Wow, it's fascinating. I mean, it's just as a parent, I'm not a parent. As a parent, I would think to know that your child might live or die based on receiving blood and then having to make that decision is just what an intense moment that must be. And I'm sure for the people, I know that religion is protected. That's still, I, I imagine, the do no harm side of the, the doctors and then the protection of religious freedoms on the other side of the people in their faith. That's going to yeah. be an intense moment in the, in the OR.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I don't believe that it happens very often, but I do know that it has people have died over it in the past, and I'm sure currently continue to. But I also think it's pretty cool that because Jehovah's Witnesses have refused to take blood, there have actually been specific advances in ways to do bloodless surgery. So even though I don't any longer agree with the religion, I think that's kind of a cool fact about the influence of positive outcome that jehovah's witnesses belief about this has developed in the world so now there are much more advanced bloodless surgery options and sometimes those do include um using a part of blood like the white blood cells right and sometimes they're completely free of all particles of blood
0: right uh Necessity is the mother of invention, as they say.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, so real. We're all inventing so many new things during this pandemic experience.
0: That is true. And you, you have siblings. Yes, you mentioned a brother. I
1: do. How many mm-hmm. siblings? Well, I grew up with three brothers and a sister. And then my dad went on to have three more kids.
0: Oh, so divorce is okay? And, or is that something?
1: It is super not okay. But if things go down in a way that one person gets kicked out of the religion, then the other person often has an opportunity to part ways with them within accordance with the organization's rules. So my dad got kicked out for about seven years when I was growing up. And um, during that time, my parents divorced and it was it was a mess.
0: What was the turning point for you? growing up to decide to leave the Jehovah's Witness
1: yeah that is such a tender question for me because clearly this had a lot of consequences for me personally and I um, I'm getting choked up because it it brings up a lot even after all these years of healing and processing it it brings up a lot of the things about leaving that are the hardest so bear with me here. I'm going to share and it might be through some tears. Um, when I left, I was 23 and I had done everything I was told to, to the T and I was freaking miserable. And I thought, if this is it, For the rest of my life, like I finally achieved this level of ministry within this organization. And I can't keep going further in my ministry career within my belief system if I don't get married. Because within that religion, you can only advance beyond a certain level if you're married. And that applies mostly to women. If you want to be a missionary, I believe they still require people of any gender to be married and they only send married couples and missionary work, I believe these days. But if you want to um, have a lot of the responsibilities of leadership that are in a ministerial career within that religion, which are all volunteer and you don't get paid for, and you take a vow of poverty, but if that's your desire, which it was mine, then I would have had to get married. And if you get married, then the man has the final say on everything in the woman's life. So that was a big hard no for me because I didn't know anybody who I wanted to trust with final word on my personal decisions for the rest of my life. And it, you know, just got to the place where I was so unhappy with how limited my reality was and how I couldn't indulge in enjoying so many of the things that I naturally in my basic innate personality and just the who I am of me enjoy. So I love creating, I love dancing and making art and photography and singing and all these different things. But within that religion, if you pursue hobbies, it's really looked down on, especially if you're passionate about them, because the idea is that you're supposed to just be passionate about God's work. And you're supposed to just put your energy, time, resources, and everything you've got into letting everybody know that Armageddon's on the way and you've really got to straighten up and believe in Jehovah God because you're going to die in Armageddon if you don't hurry up and follow all these rules, including, you know, don't celebrate holidays, don't celebrate yourself, don't enjoy your own natural desire to explore hobbies, don't, you know, like... I know that if a Jehovah's Witness is listening right now, they're like, oh man, she's really over-exaggerating. But on this side of the line, 20 years out, it really looks that way.
0: I'm curious, are you allowed to orgasm in a sexual relationship? Is that if you're order? married. If you're married, it's okay. Okay.
1: If you're having a, an interaction in person with someone and you orgasm because of something that you're doing together, whether they touched you or not, I'm pretty sure that's just not okay unless you're married. like unless you're married got it to, to each other just to, to each, be specific yeah, to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and of course that's only allowed within heteronormative paradigm so only men and women and that's a whole nother suicide
0: rate amongst the jehovah's witness
1: the suicide rate amongst jehovah's witnesses is that what you asked i do not know and I believe that we actually can't get numbers on that because there is some kind of restriction on um, noting down the religion of a, a death or a suicide victim mm-hmm. specifically. That's what I read recently because, you know, it is actually a question that a lot of ex Jehovah's Witnesses ask themselves is what is the suicide rate? And partly it's because. As Jehovah's Witnesses, we are warned against leaving the religion by threats and um, really dark, terrible ideas about what life would be like if we ever left. And that includes, oh, well, if you ever leave, everybody else is out there in the world where you can't trust anybody. Everybody's going to stab you in the back. They're always going to be out to get you no one has integrity, nobody's honest. You can't, um, you always have to watch your back. And, <clears throat> oh shoot, yeah, I lost probably, my track. And probably
0: your immortal soul is in peril. I mean, this sounds very, you had Absolutely. Yeah, at the top of this, you had said, the cult Jehovah's Witness, those were your words, <laughs> not mine, because yeah. I don't want to insult anyone. But what you're explaining now, it's very much, uh, you could compare it neck and neck with a cult-like behavior of, or people that are uh, gaslighting or, you know, uh, controlling people who are separating you from others, scaring you into a particular belief system, you know, telling you that the consequences are dire and that nobody else understands you and that nobody else should talk to you unless they believe exactly what you believe. These are huge red flags, of course.
1: They are, but how could you know that if you were raised in it?
0: You couldn't. You wouldn't. You would have nothing to compare it to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then in addition to all of those things, you're also being told that you can't trust yourself. That's one of the big, huge parts that work for those types of organizations is if you help someone think that they can't trust their own inner knowing then you've created a situation where they must, they believe they must depend on an outside source an outside authority for their own personal decisions and life choices. And that is a big piece that people who are raised in those high control backgrounds are missing. They're kind of missing that connection to their inner knowing. I definitely was. And, um, it's been quite a journey trying to heal my relationship with my inner knowing. And basically that ends up meaning getting in touch with my heart and my feelings and really allowing myself to be guided by my desires, mm-hmm. my um, emotional information system.
0: But it sounds like that, that came online for you or perhaps is always there if at 23 you said, oh, wait, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. How do you approach the people around you who have been indoctrinated into believing this certain thing? How do you cross that bridge and say, look, this isn't for me?
1: You know, I didn't. I just faded, which is a term that a lot of ex Jehovah's Witnesses use when they talk about how they left. So there's kind of a, in my conversational experience, there's basically two options for leaving you can either leave abruptly and noisily and make a scene or be kicked out really grandiosely or you can move to another town or just stop attending as much or somehow work it so that you can just slowly fade out of the spotlight and get forgotten And because my family is so big and so tight-knit and so highly involved in their religion, fading wasn't an easy thing to do for me. I moved cities a few times and I uh, did it in a way that allowed me to have enough space to figure out what I was even doing before I knew I was leaving. So back to your question about the time in my life, where... I decided to leave. What I decided was, if God is love like I've been taught, then he's going to have to understand that I need to take a year away and just step outside of this organization and look in from the outside before I continue to commit my entire existence, my one only life potentially, to this really boring, incredibly joyless not very fun very regimented highly controlled lack of freedom experience <laughs> right, So,
0: is dancing and celebration of any kind permissible or
1: no not so much dancing and celebrating is great oh, okay totally welcome and um my mother would just be terrified if I came on and said something else she loves to dance and she loves to throw parties and yeah Jehovah's Witnesses definitely dance and have fun but even when I was growing up in the 80s my grandparents generation was still having a conversation about how we really shouldn't play the twist or any Elvis songs <laughs> at yeah. our parties because they were too sexual
0: sure. And that's and in the 80s. <laughs> Rock and roll, <laughs> baby. will bring us all into sin. I, I get it.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> did, did your siblings see you having this fading begin and think, take me with? Or did they let you go and that was that?
1: I don't think anyone in my immediate family just let me go and that was that. Which is a double-edged sword In in one way I'm like ah they care and there's that connection of they notice that I'm not there but on the other side um them noticing and trying to guilt me into returning is a huge heartache to have every interaction with my blood family to be One of guilt and shame has been very difficult. And so, shunning is not just something that happened to me 20 years ago. It's something that's been happening to me for 20 years. And I think that a lot of people who are shunned or are disfellowshipped or excommunicated don't fully comprehend that and recognize it and give it its due because it is an ongoing challenge.
0: Are you the only one of your siblings who have that have made that choice?
1: You know, I'm the only one who's made this choice in this way. And the truth is that uh, from what I see and hear, which is, again, strained, um, I believe that all of my other siblings still have faith in the religion of our family. They simply don't all participate in it as fully as we were raised to. Mm.
0: Did you attend public or private school or homeschool? Public. Public.
1: It was public school, yeah, all the way through. Was it weird as a kid to see people
0: around you behaving in complete opposition of what you were being taught at home and in church?
1: I don't think weird is the right way because it was actually, that's the way life was. Is that my reality was life was one way at home and at church and a different way in the rest of the world. So it wasn't weird, but it was Incredibly uncomfortable at times and kind of lame not to be able to have the cupcake on the birthdays in the school with other kids, and kind of weird to not uh, salute the flag. I've never saluted the flag in my life, still. I-,
0: I did not know that was a part of it.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So they believe in God's kingdom instead of man's governments, and they don't vote or participate in the military.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I had no idea. Love yeah. I'm lo- I love the learning. This is great. <laughs> this is really great. The goalposts of when I was reading about Armageddon, it, it sounded to me like the goalposts. <laughs> there was an, uh, the 1914, then there was supposed to be an apocalypse in 1925, and then again in 1975. What happens within the religion when this hard fact doesn't come to be?
1: that's such a great question and it's something that being raised as a jehovah's witness you notice and you have to ask yourself like how real is this how believable is all of this if their predictions keep on not coming true so the way that i experienced it Growing up in that religion is basically very oversimplified, but oh, we've had a new revelation. We misunderstood, and now this is the clarity that we're getting now.
0: Ah, well, there you go. That makes it easy to yeah. keep changing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, some people will leave every time there's a missed prediction. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses have stopped putting a year on their predictions. And they basically just say, it's going to happen on you so Save yourselves. Come be with us. Be with God's people. We know what's right and nobody else does. So hurry up and get out of the bad world that if you're not a Jehovah's Witness, you're a Satan worshiper and come be with us in God's real light and
0: truth it's going to be interesting all these different religions that have that exact same banner flying there's gonna be like over there are the the mormons that only the mormons get to go to heaven and then over here the jehovah's (laughs) Jehovah's witness over here is the hasidic jews you know it's just it's funny that to think about that it's like everybody is saying the exact same thing Ah, religion, so fun. Uh, All right, so you're you're 23. You you're starting to think to yourself, or maybe all along think to yourself, this doesn't feel right. So you move cities once, twice. Are you starting to discover at this point who you are as a woman, as a sexual being, as a being that just moves in the world? I mean, my God, that must talk about hyperstimulation after a world where you've been secluded and protected.
1: Yeah, but hyperstimulation at a time when I had just lost my faith, my family, my community, every friend I'd ever had from birth. So you are correct that it was an incredibly stimulating time. It was also an incredibly tearful time. And um, I definitely was finding out things about myself. In my 20s, I realized that I was not entirely heterosexual and that I actually had had attractions to people of the same sex throughout my whole life, but I had never admitted it to myself because had I admitted it to myself, that would have meant that I was a bad person innately just by being me. Which was already a message I was getting heavily anyhow, and then the um, if if I was to admit it to myself, that would have put would have threatened my relationship with everybody I knew, every single person I knew, if I was to ever embrace that aspect of myself, and so because of that, I never even actually acknowledged it to myself until after I was outside so For those people who wonder why people are still coming out in their late and mid-adulthood, it could be because they've had so much shaming messaging that they haven't even allowed themselves to admit their own desire to themselves. And truth be told, now that I'm an adult sexuality educator, I understand that almost every single person has something about their desire that they're not ready to admit to themselves. And that's not always a bad thing because that means there's always more down the rabbit hole of exploration.
0: Yeah, and I think that's true about sexuality anyway and just the, the existence of being a human is that it is ever growing and changing and flowing and you're learning about yourself and the world at large and how you fit into it all. And, and if you're not aware of that, it, it would come as a bit of a shock. But if if you do have an awareness and that awareness starts to grow, then then the world is your oyster, you know, so much. I just read about a man who came out. I just read this last week night in his 90s. Oh, wow. Which is lovely. I mean, it's sad on one side of like 90 years of not being able to say and be who you are. But at least, you know, going for that last stretch, you're going to wave that flag high, which is great, I think. Um
1: I think that's great too. I mean, what an impact on the other people in their age range, what an impact on their grandchildren and the the people that would normally just ignore that sort of information from someone, you got to pay attention when it's somebody in their 90s.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, how did you go about I uh, so 23 to now, how did you go about starting? Uh, I mean, I, I just imagine that must have been so scary. I mean, you, you, you've never masturbated. You don't, you know, you're just starting to realize that you might not just be exclusively interested in one particular gender or sex. You know, there's like all these things start compiling. Did you go seek somebody to help you or did you decide to to climb the monolith on your own or what did you do?
1: You know, it was all of the above and more. It was a lot of not knowing where to look. And the truth is, the real sad thing and the major obstacle that a lot of people coming out of cults have is that they don't want to admit that it's a cult, for one thing. So I wasn't about to go seek help for overcoming having been raised in a cult because I was never... No, I was not ready to call it a cult for years. And once I finally was able to and understood why it was, then I was able to look at the information for people recovering from cults and realize just how incredibly valuable that was for me personally. And if you don't recognize it as a cult and you're looking for help for a hard time in your life, but you don't have vocabulary that feels true for you, it's very hard to find help. And I looked at, um, I don't know, in the first few years, I don't think I looked for a therapist in the first few years, but eventually, after being out of the religion for probably at least eight years, I started looking around for extra Jehovah's Witness support groups or a therapist who had a group for extra Jehovah's Witnesses or a therapist who specialized in helping extra Jehovah's Witnesses. And back then I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I couldn't find anything. I had a therapist and I was asking her and she had no suggestions or resources. And um, she was somewhat helpful, but very limited in her ability to help me to really overcome the things I was dealing with or to even really understand what I was dealing with. And that might've been mostly on me for not being able to quite admit that I had come out of a cult yet or to really look at my shadows and my blind spots and see what was really going on with me. So in the past four years, actually, is a time when I'd say that I really intentionally turned towards my shadow very directly and confrontationally to myself and was like, all right, let's look under the hood here with the light on and not turn away. And, you know, though I've done that many, many times over the years, I feel like the past three or four years have been a nonstop just... Shadow fest.
0: What's something that you realized about yourself that has been made aware that you did not really realize before?
1: Well, early when I first left, it was the non-heteronormative sexuality. Um, since then, let's see. Are you asking specifically more of like something more recent in the past yeah. few years? I think there's been a lot about uh, the way that other people perceive me and why, because I started asking people about their interactions with me and asked for feedback about how they perceive me and what types of feelings they have when we interact. And I asked like a slew of people for feedback on that for quite a long time, and then I've continued that practice here and there when it feels right. And finding out how people perceive me, I think, helped me to understand that people really didn't see my softer side very much. I had gotten a bit hardened and jaded from a lot of these challenging experiences I'd been through in life, and on the inside, I felt vulnerable and tender and raw, But on the outside, a lot of people perceived me as cold and aloof and mysterious, and some people were attracted to the mystery, and other people were repulsed because it seemed snobbish and um, elitist. So finding that out, finding out how people perceived where where I was standing and how I was in the world was a real eye opener, and my self perception. Was still somewhat stuck in my younger years of being really quiet and demure and a good girl because I was I was hundred percent in on the good girl program until I finally left when I was twenty three. So I totally bought in whole hog. I believed in it and I was I was in it for life, dedicated. That until worries me
0: for things like I child was, abuse because. I know, for example, when I was in in junior high and such that the friends would start confiding in things that were happening at home, you know, stepfathers or uncles or brothers doing things. And in a society where you are to toe the line and be a quote unquote good person, good, 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 good kid, good girl, good boy, it leaves little room for dominion over oneself to say, someone's
1: hurting me. on a lot of levels, I mean, emotionally and physically. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you wanna be seen as well-behaved and good, that often means conforming and fitting in and going with the status quo so that everything's smooth for everybody else, especially as a female-bodied person.
0: And coming into your own voice, if the females of this particular religion are taught that they are to be a subservient voice, I mean that's a that's not an easy thing to get over to you know, overcome. Yeah, absolutely. Over, you're over. So right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's I'd say it's in that category of um self growth that's about self actualization and empowerment, finding your voice and really learning how to find your inner yes and your inner no is something that I teach in my workshops, helping people to hear themselves listen to their body's response and listen to that visceral yes and that visceral no and to gain strength and confidence in speaking from that natural truth within them
0: that's a hard one gift anyway considering um, you don't even need religion to have an issue with owning your no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely humans are people pleasers you know and they're part they want to be a part of a tribe be a part of something and, and that 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 makes it tricky i had read on your bio that you had uh been picked to do the uh i i assume the photography for Coraline.
1: yeah the uh, behind the scenes photography of the lead creatives
0: that's so cool neil gaiman is awesome that story is so fantastic. How did that come to be?
1: Well, I left the religion and became a photographer and did a freelance business. But that's not the whole story because I would be totally leaving out a huge chunk if I didn't tell you that I was actually a fourth generation professional photographer, which isn't in my bio because it just didn't seem relevant to the whole intention of that bio. But because my great grandfather was a Photographer in Colorado, and had a portrait studio. And then my great uncle was a photographer, and then my dad and my mom were both professional photographers while I was growing up. And then my siblings and cousins learned a lot of it from my parents too. And then my other uncle on my dad's side, who I I just haven't been connected to my dad's side because they were never in the religion. So. He was also a photographer, did nature photography, but it was just around me all the time. So I was able to make a career of it when I left the religion, when I was no longer going to make a career of my ministry and didn't know what I was doing. I knew that I wanted to do work I was passionate and excited about. And to me, that meant creativity. And I had enough knowledge and enough skill with photography by the time I was 23 to be able to just. Put up a flyer at the local Seattle film developing place for the pros at the lab and just let people know that I was available to be an assistant photographer for the wedding photographers, the commercial photographers, everybody. So once I did that, I started learning about these other styles of photography and different professionalism and different types of um, doing business within the world of photography than my parents had taught me. So I took that and started assisting a bunch and I moved states. And when I got to Portland, I started doing my own photography as a business while I was working as a baker and a barista at a coffee shop. And then... Later, as I was Portland of you, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, very uh, totally had a Portlandia experience. I even volunteered at the feminist bookstore that they parody in that show. Love it! Oh my goodness, when they show that store and they make the jokes about that women's bookstore. It cracks me up so hard because it's not far from the truth Oh yeah it's a terrible gross exaggeration yeah. but
0: it's so, funny. so
1: close to the reality yeah. of my own experiences within that actual bookshop in Portland so and and that was actually a wonderful experience for me to be in that feminist bookstore because I met other queer people and learned to own that term queer for myself and learned that um, if I wasn't totally, into women only and a full on gold star lesbian, as they say, then I would still have some acceptance within the LGBTA community.
0: How did you come to the Coraline?
1: Oh yes, thank you. So the Coraline, (laughs) through all that, after, you know, while I'm building my business and volunteering at the bookstore, I just kept on networking and doing my photography work and promoting it, and eventually I was doing my photography work full time. And I had networked with some people that were involved at Leica Studios who created the film Coraline. They do animation. They're famous for the California Raisins commercial from forever ago. That was their first big hit. And then they grew to become big enough to create a whole feature film, which was Coraline. So through just, you know, all those magical and indecipherable ways that life moves and once you create a business and you put it out there in the world and you show up for it and you do your work then people notice and they bring you in on different projects so it was just a the people I was connected to were connected in there and eventually people who worked for focus features that was that were looking for a photographer in Portland to photograph the creatives were given my name because I would done a big huge photo shoot of all of the creatives and every employee of like a studios a month before and apparently they had liked the job i did for that so they recommended me to focus features to get in there and i was super stoked to be able to go behind the scenes and photograph neil gaiman and all the other amazing people that worked on that film and even to get to see those armatures of the little characters being made and a little preview and sign all these releases about I can't divulge any of the details of your visit it's just all so glamorous and exciting yeah. and top secret and fun and creative
0: that's great and Neil is fantastic I love him
1: yeah yeah such beautiful depth of creativity yeah I love and his him. wife
0: too they're they're divorced <laughs>
1: Oh, are
0: they? I didn't this I didn't hear that. Yeah, Amanda Plummer well, and he are, are on the outs, so but that's a whole well, other I hope, story.
1: <laughs> I hope they're all off on to new and beautiful ventures and still able to be friends.
0: Yes. Well, who knows? Um when did you start dipping your foot in the pool of your work now with the with sexuality and the you know, the title of your website is XJWLove, Love, which course is a nod to the Jehovah's Witness but but it's that's not that's not it you do help lots of people as you said in the beginning with their journeys
1: yeah I'm actually changing my website so instead of being xjwlove it's now becoming freerangesex.org great and is that up and running it is not currently up and running as of this conversation but it will be by the time people hear it on the air okay great so yes okay. it's up and running and it is um, definitely going to have information for people from all backgrounds anybody who is wanting to venture into new sexual territory and is looking for support to do that especially if they've come from high control backgrounds I have a lot of specific tools for them and then also um, a second set of my main clientele is women who are not as connected to their pleasure as they would like to be and that can mean so many different things
0: have you had a lot of people that have left cults come into your purview then and all different kinds or specifically religion which seems like a weird question i guess because most cults have a religious component but you know, there are sex cults, there's satanic cults, there's, you know, religious cults, there's cults that worship vegetables. I mean, there's all sorts of things. There's, yeah. there's all sorts of things. Have you?
1: Yeah, I, I have. I've had a bunch of people share some of their stories with me and they've come from backgrounds that are not religious cults, but are high control backgrounds, like a very controlling parenting situation so maybe their parents may have been raised in high control backgrounds and still have those habits and are still raising their kids within those types of mentalities like enforced chastity masturbation policing um, body shaming and um, generally abstinence and lack of knowledge of their own bodies and definitely an emphasis on following an outside authority instead of being taught how to listen to their own inner authority.
0: Do you believe in God?
1: No, I don't currently, but I do consider myself a spiritual person, and I always have. When I first left, I called myself a spiritual atheist, and to me what that means is that I have experienced many rich, amazing, unexplainable, mysterious, spiritual things, but I don't have a real strong desire to name them or explain them or completely understand them. And I also just don't have the belief or the feeling that there's one entity who designed it all and is up there controlling everything.
0: Right. Did you feel as a kid that you had a belief in God that was yours, Absolutely. not given to you, but truly yours?
1: Truly mine. I mean, what kind of question is that? <laughs> what What is truly yours when you're a child and all of the information comes from outside sources? I don't know. I mean, clearly that's not a true statement that I just made. All of your information doesn't come from outside sources. You do get all your own information as well. But I yeah. don't know if I'd even be able to answer that question. I can say that when I was growing up until I was 23, I believed in God, and I believed in the religion that they taught me in my family.
0: Yes. It is. It's fascinating to think about, and you can't just go do experiments on kids. This isn't the 70s, after all. But it is interesting to think about how the line between dominion of self and subservient to another, at what point your own ego is fighting for control against an outsider. I find all of that exceptionally interesting.
1: It is rich territory for sure.
0: Absolutely. You can't really do tests on kids anymore. It's a no-no. <laughs> but it is interesting to think about. I do I feel like parents probably do their own little uh, data sourcing you know, as they watch their children grow. How could they not just to see little little mental experiments to see, you know, how a child will react to a certain stimuli or or situation? (laughs) (laughs) Hope they're all writing it down. May all the parents in the world come together and write a very big book. (laughs) Where do you you see everything going for you? Are you going to stay in Bellingham? And and That's a very, I feel, open-minded culture, Bellingham.
1: It is pretty open-minded. It's not very diverse. It could I could love being somewhere more, more diverse, but I did move here intentionally and have picked Bellingham as the place I want to be of anywhere in the world because it is very comfortable and much like home because I was raised only a few hours away from here. And I just love the Salish Sea and the air that comes off the Salish Sea. I live really close to the water and it just feels so rejuvenating to me to live here so yeah I plan on continuing to live here who knows life has surprises but I do love it here
0: great farmer's market in Bellingham I love the farmer's market there
1: oh so real I have the best honey from there
0: oh it's so great there's a great cheese if you're not vegan there's a great cheese uh, monger there too that does the goat cheese it's delicious
1: um mm, there's also an amazing yogurt and some local hazelnuts. Yeah, they, they
0: really oh, got yeah. it going on at that market, for sure. They do. Yeah. We yeah. also
1: have great hiking and mountain biking yeah. in the mountains, and then the and then, water's right here, too, and then we've got the forest in between. Mm-hmm. There's just a ton of... Mount Baker um, is
0: right there. Mm-hmm. And the, the farmer's market, I have to say, also has a hurdy-gurdy man, which is so cool. <laughs>
1: really Currently since covid we don't have musicians there but thankfully they have figured out a way for it to still be open for produce and i think they've even added in some pre-prepared food as well now but the henna artists and the balloon twisting and all those other things where you might have to touch people or come into their airspace have all been eliminated for now
0: for now yeah it'll it'll come back (laughs)
1: <laughs> Someday. Let's, it'll be back.
0: So uh all the places people can find you. Let's let's cover that.
1: Yeah. I have my website which will be ready by the time this airs, freerangesex dot And also freerangesex at gmail.com And then people can also find me on YouTube, Freerange Sex, as well as XJW Love. And then on Facebook I've got a page for free range sex and also a Facebook group for anybody who wants to join and start building a community of people who are sex positive and leaning into their fantasies, really leaning into fulfilling their own sexual desires and finding out how having a really full holistic sexual health impacts the complete health picture. Because when we have a part of ourselves that is neglected or is kind of like a flat tire, and the rest of us is vibrant, we still suffer on every level in some way until we've got all the pieces fully, cohesively healthy and vibrating together wonderfully. So those are the main spaces.
0: How did you come to the term free-range sex?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. So I was... I had the website xjwlove.com, and I sent it out to a number of people in this awesome online um, program that I'm in. It's a year-long thing called Kalapa, K-A-L-A-P-A, and it's a global, global community of people who are interested in both personal development and becoming better people ourselves as well as helping the world to become more healed and thrive more cohesively. So in that program, I sent my website to a number of the peers and asked for feedback. And one of the women called and was just like, Serena, if you took out the XJW love or the XJW part and you made it so that you opened it up to more people, this could be a movement. And I was like, what? I'm listening. Okay. I'm listening. What? Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm going to sit with that. And I went for a hike with a friend and we talked about if this became a movement, you'd need to have a really catchy name that could catch on and people could remember. And it would actually make sense, but also make them think a little bit differently about the topic and kind of make them curious. So while I was hiking with a friend in a Madrona forest, I, started throwing out words and I was thinking that rewilding is a beautiful notion I don't know if you're familiar with the term rewilding but Mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't I'm not and so it sounds great So I I love that word (laughs) yeah so I figured I shouldn't use it because it's going to be confusing what does it mean it's all about like getting reconnected to our naturally primal selves and connecting that part of ourselves in with our very civilized um, way of being in life these days. So it's a lot about like food foraging and learning how to do your own things to be able to survive in a survivalist kind of um, outdoor setting and getting back to nature in that way. But it's not all about just leaving society and going to rewild in nature and leaving it all. It's well, it could be. It could be a lot of things, but what I've seen in it is a lot of people taking that connection to the earth and their connection to that primal and hands-on way of living and those um, really earthy plant knowledge, animal knowledge-based way of living and bringing it to part of their life and civilization, as we call it. So. Since I wasn't gonna do rewilding and and explain that to everybody all the time, I was thinking, well, what's the term that kind of evokes that sort of freedom and kind of calls to mind a curiosity about it. And eventually throwing out words and hiking, I came up with free range sex. And when I threw it out to other people, they all had a really big smile on their face when they heard it and they wanted to know more. And so I was like, all right, the energy around this is exciting and happy. People are curious. This is working. I think this could actually be the name of a movement. And I didn't set out to create a movement, but I was told that I should so that the message could get out to more people so that everyone can get this kind of healing. So I just wanted to share that in in all of the hurt and pain that's come from being raised in such an upside down backwards culture where you know things are basically close to the ideals of the 1950s even now I never really have a ton of anger directly for any of the people who raised me or who taught me these things or even the leaders of the organizations. Because the truth is that the people who are in these organizations and truly believe in them are living in a paradigm inside their heads that is very painful and scary. These people believe that God is about to kill everybody and that it depends on them to help people understand that and to learn how to escape it and how to survive it, and how to, you know, not only save their lives currently, but to save their eternal souls, which is a weighty, weighty responsibility. And I just have so much compassion and care and empathy for the people who are still in those religions and in those cultures, because they are living with a huge burden and a lot of shame about being who they are, Naturally. Well, and a lot so, of
0: religions and cults prey on people who do have a very low self-esteem, uh, who feel like they don't belong to something. I mean, does that's a prime candidate to bring in?
1: Yeah, but also they don't. I don't think that there's a lot of people in those organizations that think of it as preying on somebody. No, of
0: course not. I think, of course not.
1: You know, like on the outside, we see the damage. And so we think, oh, they're preying on that poor, innocent, weak person. But within the religion at the time, I always saw it as, thank goodness we're here to help these people. Save to them, find to Save the, them. To support them yeah. in their current difficulties and challenges as a community but definitely to save them in the long term with their everlasting eternal souls being so hmm.
0: yeah my guess is, is that on on the level if you look at it as a strata that the that many of these organizations the the lower down strata, the the everyman if you will with a capital e very loving want to help want to be a part of something you know, community-based, all of that, but if you go all the way to the tippy-top, things start getting maybe a little dicey, because then it's more about money and control and power, and that can be said even of governments. I mean, that model, it's not just reserved for religion.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I have seen the truth of that in some ways with the Jehovah's Witnesses organization, but Also, I was never that close to the upper echelon of power within that group, so I can't speak to that as a personal experience. But as far as the people listening who are from those backgrounds or who are currently leaving those groups, I just want to share with them that it's really important to have Mm self-compassion. Because as I woke up to the idea that I didn't actually believe that all these hours and hours and hours of door-to-door ministry were benefiting anyone. I came to a deep guilt of having tried to spread this falsehood in the world. And I, I came into a, instead of being proud for the work that I was doing and the volunteering and all that time I felt I was giving to God, when my beliefs changed, I suddenly felt bad about all that time. And so I just want to say out loud for the people listening, if this affects them or touches them in some way, that it's really important to be able to look in the mirror and hold as much care and compassion for yourself now as you would for a friend who had misunderstood or done something unintentionally or had all the right intentions and their heart was in the right place to be able to give that kind of compassion to yourself is so important in the recovery process and i'd say that the truth is that if you weren't taught that self-compassion that it's something that you'll benefit from practicing intentionally and purposefully for the rest of your life
0: it's beautifully said absolutely and I think that's the, that's the truth in in many many things. Again, you can you can take it as the microcosm of a religion, or just put it on humanity as a whole. Because I do think that our egos get in the way, and we don't want to say, "Oh, maybe maybe what I thought, I'm getting new information now, and and maybe now this new information is changing how I see things, and 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 um, it's okay to go with that flow." And to have new perception and new experience and new belief systems. So we are an ever-evolving species.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think this thinking applies even for people who have um, done harmful things with good intention. And then come to new realization and new understanding that having compassion for themselves is such a huge... Maybe... Maybe the whole meat of recovering and self forgiveness.
0: Yeah, compassion with oneself allows you to be compassionate for the world. That is true.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Having the what you said about having compassion for yourself helps us have compassion for others. It's such a truth that. When you don't have self-compassion, it's hard to understand. But when you do find and cultivate that self-compassion on a daily basis, you get to a place where it makes complete sense.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it's actually uncomfortable with having compassion for somebody that is doing something that you don't approve of or that you might even find heinous. But to get to the compassion, uh, compassion does not necessarily mean approval either. And that's the other thing is I think that people start to blend in what those two words mean. They're totally different.
1: Mm, Under- that is a
0: really, really good point. Yeah. Understanding the the reasoning behind something. Now, I, have, I do believe people have choices. People make choices. Um, some people feel they are without choice that they like, as we've talked about throughout this entire episode, uh, that lack of dominion, feeling like you have a lack of dominion. And that is... That is not a rare thing either. God, look at Facebook is a perfect example of a whole lot of people that don't really seem to feel like they have a lot of control over what's going on in their lives because they're constantly attacking outward. Look at this person doing this terrible thing. Look at this terrible happening. Look at this to the point where sometimes even facts won't get in the way, <laughs> you know, because it they don't want to disrupt what they have to uh, believe in. Without the empathy or without, you know, it's just, it's humans, man. (laughs) We are a wild, wild bunch.
1: (laughs) Humanity is so diverse and interesting and curious and complex and multi-layered. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. It's exhausting and wonderful all at the same time. (laughs) Agreed. Serena, thank you for being on the show. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, for being so open and, and loving and honest with, with your experience, I think that's it's, it's wonderful. I appreciate
1: it. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. I was really happy to be here and have this conversation with you and excited to have this information go out to those who need to hear it.
0: Absolutely. And we'll get everybody to to check out the website and and all that. And just all the information that we talked about. Um, I have fun after the fact going through and finding articles and links and things and putting them all together. So thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, Be well and big love. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.